Good evening, happy Sunday. Sunday evening before Monday morning work. Hope everybody had a nice church service. I hope everybody enjoyed church. I really did. The pastor was talking about 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. Talking about how the gospel has been anticipated, it's been prophesied, it's been fulfilled, and we have a Savior. And uh, said some really very good things uh, in the sermon. This is a Tomorrow Christian Today, reading 1 John chapter 2 in the NLT. But before we do, we must always pray. So let's do that. Dear Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to read your book, to read it, to go through it. William Tyndale, I believe, Lord, promised he wanted everyone to have the, the Bible in English so that every English plowboy could read the Bible and have it with him to read it for himself. And I think this is fun. I don't know if the, reading the Bible is supposed to be fun, like an enjoyment, but I do enjoy it, and I think it should be fun, but it is your word. It has very serious repercussions and connotations, Lord, for reading it, because this is the word of life. This is your eternal word. This is God-breathed through people, but it's coming from you, Lord. So open our minds, open our hearts, help us to, have, to be relational people, to be people of the Spirit. Jesus said we can't have anything yet unless it comes from above. We don't know where the Holy Spirit goes, where it comes. It's like the wind. But help that wind to come through our hearts and through our minds and open up our hearts, not to be dead tombs, but to be open areas of wind and breeze and light and sunshine and powerfulness and joy. We ask, Lord, in the name of Christ our King. Amen. This chapter contains a very important verse for me because uh, I, I was searching. I know that I was searching before I was 50, but when I was 50, I think it came to a head. And it's a chap. It's a verse that I read, two, two verses actually. And I had to conclude that the person who started the church that I was born in, even though she was looked upon as a Christian, and she might have been a Christian, she had assumed too much power. And she was saying things and having visions that were not that even though it seems spiritual and that she's speaking for God, I had to conclude. And I never really liked her because I thought she got way too much attention. But this was one of the key verses because when I looked at the verse and what it said, and then I looked at the person, I've never met the person. She was five foot three. She was dead before I, you know, she, she died before I was ever born. And she wrote a ton of books and she said Christ all the time. I still had to conclude that she was what these verses implied she was. And uh, let's go through and we'll get to it when we get to it. John the Elder, I assume it's John the Elder, who is John the Apostle, who is, who is the Apostle, Jesus' cousin who met him when he was 19 years old. This is what he writes. I assume this is what is he writing to Ephesus. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. So he sounds like an old man full of wisdom. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. How could Jesus be pleading before the Father right now unless Jesus himself were alive right now? That's the thing. Is Jesus alive? You have to have that faith. I have that faith. I have that faith that Jesus is not lying to me, that, he's, that he is who he says he is, and he says, you come to the Father through me. That is what a man is saying because I believe that man is the son of man and the son of God. I am a son of man. I had a mother and a father, both human mother and a human father, not an alien, not from a test tube. And I am a son of God by faith in Galatians 3 verse 26, which I did read, 
when I was 15, it impressed upon me that I was a son of God by faith. It sounded very easy, but it's not. But I was impressed that I was a son of God, but this is the son of God who is alive in front of the Father right now as my mediator. Verse two, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Can you imagine? Like John is writing and he says that this Jesus Christ, who he knew personally, he saw him. He met him. He, he walked with him. He lived with him for three and a half years as they were walking and sleeping outside and, and, and you know, going from town to town and hearing Jesus preach and watching these miracles and all these things. He knew Jesus personally. And he's saying, this same Jesus that I knew, that I saw with my own eyes, that, I, that we did not make up fables. Peter says, we did not make up fables. We saw the transfiguration. We heard the voice of God the Father speaking on behalf of the Son. That same person is alive right now, sharing the throne with God Almighty. It says in verse 3, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. I got very confused by this because I grew up in a church that was obeying all the Ten Commandments, it said. The, the Ten Commandments. When I saw commandments, I'm going, you mean the Ten Commandments, like the law from on Sinai, which people say is the law of God, or verse interchangeably, it's the law of Moses. Is that the commandments that Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying to love each other, and then he's saying love fulfills the law. So love, the law of Christ, fulfills the law of Moses. But when I saw this word Ten Commandments, when I saw this word commandments, I got, which commandments are we talking about? And maybe that's my upbringing. That's where I came from. Because the people that, that, that I had in my upbringing said, these are the Ten Commandments. Doesn't make sense. The Ten Commandments are in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. This is the New Testament, the New Covenant. Jesus has commandments. And he says the commandments, he implies to me that his commandments, the commandments of Jesus Christ are are the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which he says in Mark 12, 29 to 31. And he says, upon those two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. That sounds very simple, but it's very powerful. And love is different than law. Love is higher than law. When you, you obey someone because of law, you're just doing it because of rules. You may or may not love that person. But to love Jesus Christ, to love God and obey because of love, that's higher. That's higher. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not giving in the truth. I was told that people who did not go to church on Saturday were not obeying God's commandments. They were going to church on Sunday and they were not obeying God's commandments that implies that the fourth commandment is the Sabbath day, which is, which is supposed to be Saturday and you're supposed to go to church on Saturday. That's what I grew up with. And then that was the implication that people who go to a, to a building on a different day are being disobedient to God. It's kind of a backwards lie. It's, it's not lying explicitly, but it's kind of like, a, you know, when you, um, oh, wait, what's the word? I absolutely hate when the word is at the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember. You're implying something. That's the word. You're insinuating something about a person's character. And that was an insinuation. 
but it says you don't obey God's commandments. But in the New Testament, God's commandments are the ones that come out of Jesus' mouth. And he says that God's commandments are you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, which is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. And then it's you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's, a, it's not a prideful love, it's an other-centered love. Verse 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So we are supposed to be little Jesus. I don't know if my life shows I'm a little Jesus. I've done things that show that I'm a little devil, but I have not always um, been an ambassador as a little Jesus. A new commandment. Verse 7, Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one that you've had from the very beginning. Jesus says, A new commandment that I give you shall love each other. But then now John, John the Elder says, No, no, this is this new commandment that it's, it's an old one. It's actually from the very beginning. It's the original. The old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. So he clarifies this. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are also living it for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. This is what John is writing. That, that the new covenant which Jesus is and which he made has actually the oldest covenant of all. I remember that was an article of a lesson where it says before the old covenant, before the law of Moses was the new covenant. The new covenant is actually the oldest covenant of all. And what it, what it makes sense. The world that God made, the perfect world in Genesis with Adam and Eve, everything was in harmony, everything was servitude to everything else. Relationships were perfect and unbroken. There was perfect harmony. God loves us, but we loved him back. But that cycle was broken when we decided not to love God, but to mistrust God, to be suspicious of God, to lean on our own understanding, to violate Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, um, trust God with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Adam and Eve and the whole human race have leaned on their own understanding and we didn't trust God. We broke that cycle of love relationships. We broke that original commandment to love God. We mistrusted God because we listened to ourselves. Bible says we listened to an alternative spiritual voice which cost us our perfect relationship with God. But God did not cast us away. He sent his son and he said that he would in Genesis 3:59. I'm sending someone. Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush the head of the serpent. That person that was promised, the, the eschaton, right? The proto-gospel, which was alluded to today. It says Jesus was the anticipation of the hope that we had from the Old Testament. That Jesus was that fulfillment, that he was going to come and by his death, reconnect us back to life, which is God our Father, which is source. Yet it is also new, John says, Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are living it. The dis darkness is disappearing and the true light is shining. People say to have God, you are in darkness and progressiveness and enlightenment is to have true light. But God says, no, without me, you don't have light, you have darkness. So 
one side says that it has light and the other side is darkness and the other side says no we've got the light you're the darkness i think i'll go with god's side thanks verse 9 if anyone claims i'm living in the light but hates a christian brother or sister that person is still living in darkness anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble but anyone who hates other brother and sister are still living and walking in darkness such a person does not know the way to go having been blinded by the darkness i remember once somebody said oh christians all they do is preach love 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 that's all they do as if the person was mocking but but john is saying there's a certain love from god it's an other centered love it's a love of servitude it's a love of humility it's a love of being humble of being teachable of being that's true love the world has its own kind of love self pride ego person being full of themselves they only love themselves they show off yeah they love somebody themselves they don't love anybody else the only person in their universe is them everybody else is just secondary i guess we're like that by default survival of the fittest i must survive even if i have to step on your head to do it but that's not god's way Jesus came and said I must die so that you will live. That that was God's way. He was God in the flesh because he thought exactly like God. He focused on other people, other people rather than himself. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody ever did that. We all want to be prom- promote ourselves. We all want to promote our little god which is us. The only person in, in the whole human race who got it right 24/7 100% of the time was Jesus Christ. Verse 11, but anyone who hates another brother or sister still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go having been blinded by the darkness. Wow, that's hard, eh? This is coming from someone who Jesus said, remember? He called them the sons of thunder. Maybe they had a temper, maybe they were tempestuous, maybe they had a lot of zeal. They wanted to do what is right, but they got really, really angry, really, really fast. We had to work on that control. Some of us get angry, some of us just sit there and boil quietly. Remember remember Moses? He sounded like a good guy. He sounded like, you know, he was in Egypt and he was like the prince of Egypt, but he's like 40 years old and then these two Hebrew guys get into a fight. Or no, the he the Egyptian guys beating the Hebrew and then he he gets angry and he doesn't like that and he kills the egyptian guy and hides the body and then the next day two hebrew brothers are in a fight and then he tries to intercede and one guy says hey you going to kill me like you killed the guy yesterday do you know what i mean like even you know even moses had to learn you know he 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 got angry he wanted to do the right thing but he got angry and he had to get out of Egypt he had to get out of dodge like pronto i am writing to you who are god's children because your sins have been forgiven through jesus thank god i am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know jesus christ who existed from the beginning i am writing to you who are young oh it says because you know, sorry i am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know christ who existed from the beginning i am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. We have a battle to overcome. We have to overcome our own nature. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. Wow. 
Remember Jesus said to the religious people, you don't know me or my father. Like you don't know my character. You don't know what God's character is all about. And this is talking to people who had all these law and all these ideas and all these commentaries. And then Nicodemus kind of steals away and, and, and he doesn't even understand what's going on. And Jesus says, you're a great teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. You don't understand the spiritual things that I'm, I'm telling you. If you can't understand, um, if you can't understand, what, what did Jesus say? Um, if you can't understand these earthly things, how are you going to understand spiritual things? Like Nicodemus was just clueless about God's true nature. He says, I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. The lust of the flesh, the pride of the eyes, the pride of life. You know, somebody said those were the original three sins. I'm not really sure, but obviously the world is very external. And there's a lot of things, there's a lot of um, distracting voices and distracting things that the world says, Hey, look at us. Spend your time with us. You know, you'll get to the religion part later. You know, just, just hang with us for now. It's good. You know, it's the world is very distracting. It's trying to pull you away from God. God really wants your attention. He, he wants to be number one with us. God implies that he's our creator and he deserves to be number one with us. It, it kind of makes sense to me. I, you know, I did, I'm not my children's creator. You know, they have a creator, God, their father. God is really their father. I'm just their manager, but I still love my children and I still like it. I'm very tickled in my heart when, when my kids reach out to me and say, hi, dad, how you doing? It makes me feel good. You know, I don't want to seem like I'm needy and desperate, but I love my children and I like them. I like them to love me back, but you can't force somebody to do that, right? It says these things, all this pride, these are not from the father, but from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I don't think it means that you don't, if you do a good job on something that you shouldn't have pride in it. I don't think that's the pride we're talking about here. I think it's just being like smug and arrogant and like full of yourself and your stuff counts and everybody else doesn't count, like not at all. Like we all got a certain amount of bad pride. I don't think that's the pride you know, I, I, I think it's, it's not wrong to, you, you do a good job and you feel happy that you've done it. You, you feel content that you did the best that you could. You may not be happy, you may compare it to somebody else and say, I wish I could do it as good as that guy. But maybe that's not the skill set that you've been given. Maybe you're just, there's something else better that you can do. There's nothing wrong with having pride in your work, but that's not, the, the good pride is not what's being addressed here. It's evil pride, it's satanic pride. It's pride ego. It's having a big fat ego. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at what I've done, look at who I am, look at how much money I have, look at my car, look at this, look at that. I'm better than you are. I don't think God likes that. God says this world is fading away, it's fading fast. It's disconnected from God, it's disconnected from source. We were talking about prayer in our fellowship today. It's this, this world is disconnected. The only way to connect, connect to God is to pray, pray without ceasing, connect to God, connect to him through his word, connect to him through corporate worship, connect to God in, in, you know, 
in what you're doing, what you're saying. God is about relationships. Warning about Antichrist. Here we go. This is the verse. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. It's like John is talking, like the Christian church is just getting started. He said there's like lots of Antichrists. I don't get this. Then he says, verse 19, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. So if somebody goes to church their whole life or something and they get to a certain age, say, I was never really a Christian. This is really not for me. I don't believe that God really cares. And they're, I'm out of there. Is that an antichrist? I mean, they're not evil. They're just saying, I don't really believe. But, you know, John is talking about people who are antichrists, like people who are false teachers. Because the people that started the church I was born in, they were going to church. And they decide, you know what, they're going to now start um, figuring out the exact date when Jesus came. And when he didn't come, when he didn't come, they didn't go back to the church and they say, hey, we're sorry, we were wrong. We didn't study the Bible close enough. The Bible says that, um, you know, the Bible says that not to set dates. No, no, they started their own thing. They started their own church. They got their own stuff going on. And there's nothing wrong with having a different hermeneutic. But it seemed to me that all of a sudden that the people who started the church, it was about them. It wasn't about Jesus Christ. It was about the Sabbath day. It was about what this lady was saying and the books that she was writing. It was about her opinion of what Jesus was about. That's what it seemed like to me. And I read this and I went, I never really liked the, the, the founder of the church that I was in. But is she an antichrist? She's writing books and saying Jesus this and Jesus that and Christ this and Christ that. Is that an antichrist? I thought an antichrist was like a bad person. A malevolent person, someone who is evil. But but this person didn't seem evil on the surface. But investigation proves that it was about her books. And if you didn't agree with her opinion, her and her husband, um, you know, um, her and her husband were about control. And if you didn't agree with them, they wrote you letters. They excoriated you. They cut you off. They said that you were a heretic and that you were leaving them. You were leaving, you were leaving them and they were, they were speaking for God. You see, they said they were speaking for God. The husband said that his wife is having visions and those visions are coming from God. But her visions are not in the Bible. Her, her, she did not, she lived in 18, the 1800s. She's writing books saying all these things, writing all these letters, and some of them are good opinions, but all of a sudden her opinions have become another gospel. Is she a cursed antichrist? I was really faced with quite a staggering contradiction in my head. While I may not have liked this person, and I never met her, is she an antichrist? Is she the person of 1 John 2, 18 and 19? My emotions had to say, well, you're judging someone you don't really know them. They started a church. You haven't really done too much for God. But at the same time, what is an antichrist? Someone who replaces the gospel of Jesus Christ with their own ideas? There's lots of, there's lots of churches, lots of denominations 
that have, they say Jesus, they say they're Christian, but then they're, they're going on the writings of some other human being. They're going on the writings of somebody else who's not Jesus Christ. And that person who is writing all these books saying, my opinion is the correct opinion. God has revealed himself fully to me and I'm going to tell you about it. And people follow people like this. I was born into this. And we have Jesus and all these fundamental beliefs, but it doesn't seem to be about Jesus. It doesn't seem to be about grace and love. It seems to be about Sabbath keeping and about keeping the Sabbath because everybody else forgot about Saturday is the Sabbath. That's what the gospel was. It seemed like a very subtle left turn. It seemed like something that had not really gone off the rails, but there was a slight deflection there. What is Jesus here to do to connect us to God? And how do we do that? Love God, love other people. Those are his commandments. It's about him. He's the Messiah. Oh, this lady called Jesus the Messiah. She said he was the son of God, this and that. But then all her opinions, which she says coming from God. God is speaking to me. God is showing me visions. God is showing me people going up to heaven on a narrow path and some of them are falling off and talking about open door and shut door and closed door and the remnant and we are the remnant church. Boy, I'm thinking to myself, something is not right here. Am I crazy? How come all these other people around me are agreeing with this? Why am I not agreeing? Am I a rebel without a cause? 1 John 2, 18 and 19 didn't only confuse me, it scared me. Because I didn't know who is right and who is wrong. What side am I on? I thought I was on the right side, but I'm on the wrong side. I'm not on the right side. The Bible is not agreeing with what I have been taught in my life and where I have grown up. It's not saying what I have been taught. Ronald Reagan said, trust, but verify. I trusted. And now when I'm reading the word of God, which is supposed to be God's word, God's word is not verifying what I have being taught am i am i interpreting god's word incorrectly am i off the rails here am i wrong am i under control of the devil i tell you if i didn't have a, a psychotic break i felt like i was coming real close i used to read this horror writer um i used to read a lot of his books when i was younger i won't say who he is but he's very pop and and some of the people in his books had nervous breakdowns they were the heroes but they were flawed heroes and they were having nervous breakdowns i i don't know if i have a nervous breakdown i don't exactly know what a nervous breakdown looks like but i felt like i was on the edge of a nervous breakdown because i told my friend and i said you know i told him i said i think i'm on the wrong side here i think i'm in a cult and he went, are you joking with me? And then he backed up. Then he said, back the, and he said a bad word. And then he, you know, did a motion with his hand as if he was turning the camera backwards. And then he just went and stood right at the door and came to my office again, like coming to, coming to the Tomorrow Christian's office, part two, take two, and action. So he was kind of mocking me in a little bit, but he was very shocked. He's very shocked about what I said. And I was very shocked about what I said. Trust me. 
because what's coming out of my mouth is sort of a, a pale admission I might be wrong. I might have been taught something that is wrong. I trusted in the people that taught me. Some of them seem nice, but when I'm verifying it with the Word of God, it's not adding up. I read Bible.ca quite extensively. And I liked what I read, um, but I found it a little bit mocking. A guy who, I mean, it's an amazing website, Bible.ca. You know, there's a lot of stuff on Bible.ca. And I was reading it, or the history of the Christian church, and it's like the history of the Christian church is not the history of the church that I was born into. Because the church that I was born into started in the 1800s. And the person who started it was a young woman who married someone and then they started this church and and, and, and and somehow we say Jesus, but we've gone back to the Ten Commandments. We've gone back to the Old Covenant. It was not adding up. Jesus said, I'm the New Covenant and I'm dying to give you a New Covenant. He said this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, I think. That's not what my church is teaching. Verse 22. Okay, sorry, verse 20. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. Did I get the Holy Spirit from God? I, I would like to think so, because I made very harsh decisions, but it didn't sit well with people I came from, nor my family, nor my spouse. Didn't sit well at all. And to this day, it doesn't sit well. I tell the people in the, in the church that I'm in now, the Baptist church, I'm just a pariah. And somebody said to me, you know, very nice ladies, very kind Christian lady, don't say that, but I'm a pariah. You want to sign on to Jesus? You might have to say goodbye to some relationships that you thought were forever. I met two Christians while I was still a member of the other church, and they both said, I'm the black sheep of the family. And I went, what's with the black sheep thing? What's with this black sheep syndrome? What, what am I missing here? You sign on to Jesus. You want to trust Jesus because you're trusting Jesus to get you to God, our Father. You may have to put some other relationship second, and the other people won't like that. They won't like it. So I am writing to you not because you know, don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. Yes, I was given lies. I turned around. I said a lot of nasty things on Facebook. I will admit that. Um, I shouldn't have said some of the things I said. I reacted. It's never good. Um, they have lied. But the thing is, I'm going to put the blame on myself. I let it go on as long as I did because I did not read the Bible for myself. I am responsible ultimately for letting it go on as long as it did. God gave us Jesus. God gave us his word. God gave us his Holy Spirit. The Bible is the way to discern between truth and lies. Read it, please. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think and deeply consider what I tell you. Read it for yourself so God's Spirit can work in you. Vet out what you have been taught. 
And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ? This lady didn't say that. She kept saying Christ this and Christ that, Christ this. She said Christ. She did, she did say that Jesus is, is Christ. But she's speaking as if she is speaking for God. If you're speaking, if you're saying Jesus is the Christ with words, but then you're saying that you're speaking for God, then your actions don't match your words. Jesus is a Christ. The Christ is speaking for God. You are not speaking for God. Does this lady have the Holy Spirit? We all have the Holy Spirit. But to say that I'm a prophet of God, like on par with Jesus, like what, what's my dream? If I have had a dream that's coming from God and I have to tell you about it because you have to endorse what I, what I have dreamed, that seems wrong to me. You've gone off the rails there. There's a lot of people like that on YouTube. I've seen some of them. They sound a little bit strident and militant. You might want to take a step back from such a person. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. This lady's an antichrist because she seems to be trying to get, she seems to be attaching herself to Jesus. So instead of the Father and the Son and you, it's the Father and the Son and this false person and then you. It's her books, her opinions that are in the way between you and Jesus. She's not speaking for Jesus. She's speaking for herself. She has a right to, to have her own opinions, but her opinions should not be your opinions. Somebody else's opinions of Jesus should not be your opinions because Jesus is speaking for God. You need to, you need to connect to Jesus directly in order to connect to God. Verse 23, anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Oh, I think we acknowledge the Son with words. There's a lot of fundamental beliefs. Oh, we, all these words, 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 but the actions don't match the words. If you have Jesus fully, what do you need another person who you say is a prophet of God for? If you got Jesus, which is the reality, what do you need Cole's notes for? You don't need Cole's notes anymore. You don't need a prophet. You've got Jesus. Case closed. Verse 24, so you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And this fellowship we enjoy, the eternal life he promised us. Don't let anybody else eclipse Jesus. Jesus is the brightest thing in the sky. He's the S-O-N, he's the S-U-N. And when someone steps between Jesus and you and says, I'm speaking for Jesus, they are eclipsing Jesus. They are a lunar eclipse of the sun. Get away from that person. That person says they're enlightening you, they're taking you into darkness. You can listen to your pastor. I'm not saying not to listen to a pastor who's preaching the word. I'm not saying listen to what he says, read it in the Bible, think for yourself. Maybe he has a different opinion of the same verse that you're reading. That's fine too. But this lady and her husband weren't a different opinion. It's like, this is the gospel. And anyone who disagrees with us has the mark of the beast. That's wrong. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. John the Elder is warning you. I'm not John the Elder. I'm just a guy reading this chapter. And I'm telling you what I felt and what I've experienced. But like I said, you are a different person than me. I don't need to promote my experience to you. I need to promote Jesus to you. I want you to connect to Jesus directly through the word and you connect to God. Remember what John the Baptist said, I must decrease, 
but Jesus must increase. I wholeheartedly endorse that opinion. The tomorrow Christian's opinion is not uh, must decrease, but Jesus Christ must increase for you. Verse 27, you have received the Holy Spirit. That's what that lady said. She had had the Holy Spirit too. That's what she said. But her books were about her opinions replacing the gospel. That's wrong. And he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught, you remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, verse 29, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Connect to God, you are connecting to. Connect to Jesus, you are connecting to God our Father. Jesus said, if any man come to me, the Father will draw him. But then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. God the Father draws you to Jesus so that through Jesus you can enter the door and go walk the narrow path and walk the narrow path to the Father. It's a circle. It's complete. And it doesn't need anybody else in that circle except God the Father, Jesus Christ, and you. Have a wonderful work week.